In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. It's us. The two guys you just heard about from that lovely introduction. I'm Chris. He's Steven. We're the uh, we're the current NFL crew for the uh, for for the win. We got we got Charles McDonald joining the team today. Super exciting. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Week 13. Uh, Charles isn't going to be on the show. He's dealing with all sorts of getting acclimated type stuff. But so you can turn it off right now. And just wait till yeah. The if you came for four verts, sorry. You're getting Greg Williams cover zero instead. <laughs> we are going to rush everybody and get to Derek Carr. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we're we going to go over some Week 13 stuff, check in on the playoffs. We're going to do a fun new segment uh, that we're calling The Internet Says, which is where we look at some sort of prevailing notions that are floating around the Twitter sphere, and Steven deconstructs them thoroughly. This that's what Steven does. Uh, yeah, we're going to look in at Steven's take dumps as well. That's our Monday feature where he just unloads his hottest takes from the weekend. Uh, should be good. And then there's some football today. We're like hours away from more football. Uh, five o'clock, the football team is facing the undefeated Steelers. Uh, and then Bill's Niners is after that in the regular Monday night spot. And then Tuesday, Ravens Cowboys. So, you know, still got some football to talk about for this week. Steven, you uh, you sounded a little bit this. I, you've said this on this show a couple times now, but you wrote it today in the Monday take dump. Uh, and that is that you are just ready for for the playoffs. You're ready to get into the the crucible of uh, of of real play, where we can find out what these teams are. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Are you are you gonna make it? Are you gonna make it the next couple of weeks? I, I don't know. I'm crawling to the finish line, but I think I'm gonna make it. This is like the the latest I've hit the wall in season wall, which everyone that covers the league, they hit a wall at some point. I really thought I was going to hit it back in October, but I, I managed to, to just run through the wall. But now I'm fading. And like it's really just exhausting trying to come up with takes every Monday morning at this point because like we've said everything we've had to say about all these teams and the, there's like no new information. Like we're not no team's going to change their stripes in week 13. We're going to get to that uh regarding the Browns in a few minutes, but that's that's the team I'm thinking about when I say that. Uh, I will say, though, that you did a really good job of, of uh, zeroing in on something that we've been talking about for a long time, and you, you know, you're monitoring this situation, and that is the Russ Cooks debate out in Seattle. 
uh, you wrote earlier this year that uh, like somewhat remarkably, Seattle just listened. It, it actually happened over last season and the season before. I think like the season before the the Seahawks had the lowest uh, throw percentage on early downs of any team. And then they moved to sort of like the middle of the league, which still wasn't enough because you have Russell Wilson and he's one of the better quarterbacks in the game. And then this year they just went all the way. They were like, yep, we're gonna, like Russ is cooking. It's happening, guys. And now you have pointed out your your top take dump here, the number one uh, adjustment, uh, number one thing in, in the story here. It's I di- we didn't make it the headline, but uh, it is your number one observation is that the football football guys might have been right about letting Russ cook. And essentially, you're saying that uh, in the last few weeks, we all remember Russell Wilson was on a torrid MVP pace for like the first four or five, six weeks. Uh, he was insane. And you kept saying uh, he he kind of has these stretches and I think he's probably going to come back down to earth and uh, we'll see. He has not only just come back down to earth since week seven, he ranks 23rd in EPA and 17th in success rate, which is really bad. <laughs> that, is, that is not good at all. Uh, and so you diagnose diagnose this by watching uh, some of his re- recent film and, and particularly, uh, you know, we broke down how the Rams slowed uh, slowed him down with the two high coverages. And then you notice that the Giants who somehow beat the Seahawks. And we're going to talk about the Giants a little bit more in depth later too. But they they copied that, as you predicted, they copied that and took away a lot of the deeper throws that has uh, that have allowed Wilson to be successful. And that exposed a flaw in his game. So what did you see? Yeah, there was nothing in rhythm. He didn't throw any of those deep shots in rhythm, which we see all the time with Russell Wilson. We see him hit the the back of his drop and then unleash one of those moon balls that just stay up in the air forever and just drop right into a receiver's hands. We saw none of that. We didn't see him attempt to make it. And I thought the two eye safety looks the Giants were giving them was a big reason why. And they were also doing something interesting with the rush where they weren't there defensive ends weren't like going all out after the after the quarterback they were kind of staying back watching Wilson making sure he didn't break the pocket and Wilson was just standing in the pocket and his eyes were darting all over the field and he never looked comfortable and he wasn't getting rid of the ball quickly and this is a big this has been a big thing with Wilson is as great as he is there's that sort of in between game is missing where Wilson is like one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league pre-snap. He he's, does a great job of reading the defense and usually knows where to go with the ball. And then when things break down, he has that plan B that not a lot of other quarterbacks have. And maybe no other quarterback outside of maybe Mahomes has where he can do it so consistently where he can, he can make a play when things break down outside of the pocket. Right. But in between right. when defenses take away that first read and keep him in the pocket, he's still he's a decent quarterback, but he's not this great quarterback that we're used to seeing in other situations. And the giants were able to make him play like that yesterday. And I think it just speaks to a larger issue. And it's one of the issue, one of the concerns, the Seahawks fans that pushed back against this, let Russ cook movement had, which was he's not great at quick game. And if you're going to replace runs with early down passes, you're usually going to do it with quick game concepts where he's taking three steps and getting rid of the ball on time. Right, And if he doesn't, like the offensive line is blocking, assuming he's only going to take three steps and get rid of the ball quickly. So if that doesn't happen and he holds the ball and he starts to scramble a little bit, that's when the sacks happen. And this year, the sacks have been happening. He has the third highest sack rate on quick game dropbacks. 
And those negative plays really kill drives. He's also thrown like eight interceptions on on quick game drops. And right. I, I think his interception rate is like 3.5, which is, I think, top 10. And when you add sacks and interceptions together for these drive-killing plays, his his uh, drive-killing play rate is like top five right now. And two years ago on quick game, it was around the same mark. Last year, he did a little bit better. He still took a high number of sacks, but he wasn't throwing interceptions. But it's just been a it's been a trend for three years running that he's not great at these quick game concepts, and that's what you're going to see if he's throwing a lot on early downs. Interesting, yeah. It's such a it's uh, we talk so much about quarterbacks, and we talk particularly about some of the old dudes, right? Like we talk about Brady and Roethlisberger and Breeze, and we're constantly trying to monitor like are they washed? You know, like how much can they actually still do with the arm strength they have left? And a lot of that is quick game, right? Like a lot of that's pretty right. hitting easy, you know, easy stuff. I mean, we, we joke about uh, breezes and Roethlisberger's passing charts and like, it's all just like right over the, the line of scrimmage. Uh, and they're just dinking and dunking, but you're saying that Russell Wilson doesn't have uh, there's something there in his game that is not letting him do that. What What is holding it's, him back? I mean, it's the height thing, I think. It comes back to height. I was going to get to that. Like, I was going to say, like, were the critics right? <laughs> like, they weren't right overall, but his height does affect some things. But Breeze is short, too, right? Or I guess right, but not Bree- as short. But Breeze somehow overcomes those limitations. And <laughs> one of the ways he does it, like, if you watch Drew Breeze going through his progressions in the pocket, he's he's like straining his neck to look up over the line you could see him doing it <laughs> and he's just a unique player you're not going to get guys like drew Brees who are able to do that drew, uh, baker mayfield got these uh comparisons to drew Brees when he was coming out and i just didn't get him because he looked nothing like drew Brees in the pocket he was he's much more panic and he's not under control like breezes and wilson is closer to mayfield in that regard than he is to hmm. to breeze but wilson has is so good at everything else that it doesn't matter. And there was this, this talk early in his career about whether he was a real pocket passer. And there was guys like Andy Benoit, who is, who has always been quote unquote, a Russ hater. Although I think that's a little strong. He does not like Russ as much as most people do, but there was something to his analysis that I think was right in that Russell Wilson isn't a guy that's going to go boom, boom, boom through his progressions. Like we talked about Deshaun Watson last week, who is a guy that does that. Wilson is either going to get a great pre-snap read and he's going to, he can make any throw and he's so accurate with the ball and he can throw it downfield. He can, he can put the ball wherever he wants, where if he has that, that initial read, right. Then he's going to, he's going to go like 25 of 27 for 300 yards and four touchdowns. And then even if you take away that first read and can't keep him in the pocket, he's still going to do damage because he's so good at throwing the ball in the move. But the teams that have had the most success keep him in the pocket and force him to go through his progressions. And that's when you see the limitations. And that's when you see his vision, his field vision, which is limited by his height. That's when you see it become a problem. Yeah. And it was a problem against the Giants. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds to me like you're uh, like you're saying that, OK, we have a little bit more information now and the equilibrium with Russell Wilson is different than it is with other elite quarterbacks. And and part of the reason is what the let Russ Cook detractors said is that he's not that type of quarterback. Like he's more of a boomer bust type guy. Like uh, I'm trying to remember how you put it here. 
the Seahawks fans and analysts who push back against the let Russ cook movement argued that it wouldn't play to the quarterback strengths and that his volatile approach to the quarterback position would make it harder to sustain drives if the team wasn't consistently moving the ball for a second down. Uh, like that's a little bit right. It's not, there's, there's absolutely no reason to go all the way back to, uh, to sort of, Joe Paterno football where they're running the, the ball uh, on downs one and two and throwing on down three if they have to uh, this, you know, but but there is some some cause for the Seahawks to treat it a little differently. And and I think the success rate stat that I mentioned in the post is right. really the most telling because EPA can be affected by like a, a receiver breaking a tackle and running for 70 yards for a touchdown. That's going to make the quarterback look better, but success rate measures down to down consistency. Like, are you consistently getting positive gains? And this year he ranked 16th, which isn't bad, but it's also not good. It's just like a mediocre number. Right. And then last year he ranked 17th. So he wasn't any better last year. This isn't a, a one year thing. And then the year before that he ranked 29th. Right. Right. So there has been a gradual improvement and maybe getting these reps, he'll slowly improve at it. But right now, it's not really his strength. His strength is taking those deep shots because he's better at throwing them than anybody else. But when defenses don't have to respect the run on first and second down, you're not going to get those deep shots. They have two safeties back there. It's going to be harder to hit DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett on those throws. Yeah. Uh, well, if I know Pete Carroll, uh, I think he will have no problem dialing up <laughs> some more runs on early downs and fixing this uh i I mean is this are the seahawks a legit contender in your mind at at this point having lost to the giants no they haven't been too many flaws i don't think they have been all season like at the beginning of the year was the defense that was holding them back and now the defense has gotten better and the offense has taken a step back so they haven't really put together that complete game where both units are playing well and they really haven't even put it together a stretch where it looks like both units are playing well at the same time all right let's get to a team that i know you think uh is fraudulent you have called them frauds so many times um that'd be the cleveland browns and and the browns raced out to what was the score 38 to 7 at halftime uh and eventually won 41 to 35 against the titans it got much closer than it probably should have. You're sort of letting them off the hook because they were trying to kill the game. You're admitting that the Browns looked, you know, they looked good. Like they they won a nice game. Baker Mayfield had, uh, I don't know what his final line was, but he had a he had a bonkers first half. I think he threw four TDs in the first half. He was 25 for 33 overall, 334. Uh, made a, a bunch of nice throws, but you are still saying that this team has not proven that it can play with better teams. That was the narrative going into the week, right? The Browns had only beat one legit team. We need to see them against another playoff team. What can they do? And they ran out and and just crushed the Titans early. But for you, it didn't provide the litmus test that you needed to really believe that the Browns are a legit team. No, that... And we talked about this before the game. That was like a game script type of game. When you're a play action heavy team, as both teams are, you right. really have to be in a good position on the scoreboard and down in distance wise to continue to run those plays. And the Titans were just from the beginning, it was basically over. They had the fourth and one play where they got stuffed. Although I think Henry actually got the first down. It was just right. a bad spot. And then the second drive, Henry fumbles in his own territory and it was it was like a desperate grab to tackle him. It wasn't even an intentional strip play. 
And then he fumbles, the Browns recover. And basically at that point, the game is almost over. Those two plays accounted for like negative 10 EPA for the Titans. They end up losing by six. And they also had an interception in the second half where it bounces off Adam Humphrey's hands and goes into a Browns defender. Those three plays really decided the game and they were fluky plays. But even if you ignore all that, the thing that we've been discussing is do the plans have a plan B and does Baker Mayfield have a plan B? If you could stop them from throwing those play action passes, can they still move the ball? And we were never going to see that against the Titans. I, I included a staff from Bill Barnwell where they were 31st in QBR against play action passes. So this was kind of par for the course for the Titans. It was a strength of the Browns going up against a weakness for the Titans defense. And then on the other side of the ball, the Titans just played a horrible first half and played themselves out of the game. There were some unlucky breaks that contributed to it. So I'm not taking anything from it. I saw people say like Baker, this is a statement game for Baker, but he wasn't pressured. He wasn't pressured at all. Four dropbacks he was pressured on. And he didn't complete a pass on any of those dropbacks. So if the, the knock on Baker all his entire career basically has been how will he fare in a tight pocket against a decent pass rush, which the Titans don't have. Well, we didn't see any of that yesterday. We knew he could throw to wide open receivers off play action, and that's all he did yesterday. So I don't think this is a statement or anything. It's just a one-off result that we shouldn't look into too much. Yeah. Uh, the hype surrounding Cleveland is – I mean, I think you note this sort of in your in your piece. Like, uh, the hype around Cleveland is huge right now. And in some ways, like, if you – if you can get in the fan bubble, if you can imagine yourself as a Cleveland Browns fan, like, yes, of course. Like the, right. the, the franchise has, has been bad for so long. Like, uh, get excited. Like, it's, you know, your team is winning. You are beating good teams. But we're not in that fan bubble. Like, we're, we're trying to uh, assess the league as best we can from a distance and right. try to have clear eyed a clear-eyed view of what's going on. Um, the Browns do have the Ravens. On so they play the Ravens Sunday at I think that's the night game the eight fifteen game and you know the Ravens are going to have uh, the Ravens will have played on Tuesday apparently Lamar Jackson will be back but they're going to be late, play Tuesday they've had several weeks totally disrupted by COVID there there still might be some lingering I think Mark Andrews the tight the tight end who is an important player in their offense uh, and I think he has asthma I think he's potentially still out. Uh, so there's going to be ramifications, but we'll, we'll learn something from that game probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's the giants and the jets. Uh, I don't know, maybe the giants, <laughs> we'll get to the giants. <laughs> like I said, we'll get to them. Uh, then the jets and then the Steelers to close out the season. So there are, there are some tests coming for the Browns. Uh, but as of right now, just have not really right. showed uh showed enough to yeah and i just want to reiterate if i was a browns fan i would be celebrating and be hyped for this nine and three record i'd be calling everyone pointing to dvoa and point differential a bunch of dorks like who cares about that stuff but that's not our job we're not fans so we're not gonna analyze it like that and i do think that ravens if they win that ravens game i'll change my tune because oh look back at week one at the what the ravens did to them i know Wink Martindale is going to get pressure on Baker Mayfield. So that's going to be a true test for, for him. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned this, but the, the Browns are behind both the football team and the Falcons in point differential and DVOA. So, um, you know, there are some underlying things here to, to cause 
uh, people to pause. Let's get to Greg Williams. Recently fired Greg Williams. Right before we came on air, Greg Williams was relieved of his duties as defense coordinator for the New York Jets. There comes a not even 24 hours after uh, Williams left three <laughs> three defensive backs completely on an island <laughs> with 15 seconds left uh, so that the Raiders could loft a lovely little pass to Henry Ruggs for a touchdown that kept the Jets in the driver's position for their number one pick and getting Trevor Lawrence. Uh, this immediately be- created a, a internet firestorm, of course. Whenever the Jets do Jets things, that's what happens. Uh, this seemed sort of like the Jets doing the right thing for, for a change, right? Like they, right. they lost a game that they should have lost so that they could secure their future. Uh, so it was all a buzz. And then uh, you know, sort of sl- after the initial like, oh, this is funny. People were like, wait a minute. Were the Jets really choking this game away? Because, uh, you know, I'll read some of the stats here. Uh, you know, first of all, you guys should should check out the post over at for the win ftw.usatoday.com because we've got all sorts of we've got the dots here showing just how absurd this play was. Uh, you know, and then there were tweets from Emmanuel Acho saying like, this doesn't make any sense. This, he had to be directed to lose it. Next gen stats, uh, points out that the Jets sent an all out blitz. However, none of their eight pass rushers were able to get pressure on Carr. I mean, it just didn't even come close to working. The Jets are the only team to send eight plus pass rushers, uh, on a play, eight, eight or more pass rushers on a play in the last 30 seconds of a game this season. Uh, and then there's an Adam Schefter tweet that details how insane the call was. Uh, so there really was like this initial thinking like, oh, Greg Williams, uh, this must they must have thrown this. They did the right thing on purpose. But you are pointing out that no, this is just Greg Williams being Greg Williams. And this is just the Jets coaching staff being the Jets coaching staff. Like that's there's nothing more to it than that. Right. Like, are you not familiar with Greg Williams' work? <laughs> or it's just his general persona? Like, right. That is, this, is, this is on brand. This is like as on right. brand of a call as you can get. And like, I don't, in theory, blitzing the quarterback in that situation, I don't hate the idea. I've seen other teams do it. Like the Cardinals did it against the Eagles in 2014. The, the Eagles were a little bit closer to the end zone, but it ended up working. Like Nick Foles panicked and threw the ball up and threw uh, two straight incompletions. No one was accusing the Cardinals of tanking. The problem is that the Jets cornerbacks aren't very good and you're leaving uh, a first round pick who runs like a 4-2-40 against a guy named <laughs> Lamar Jackson who is not actually the Lamar Jackson you know, who runs like a 4-5. Like that's a terrible call. But I will say this, the play before that, the Jets played coverage. They didn't blitz anyone. They they rushed four. And Nelson Aguilar still got behind the defense. So if you're looking at it from Greg Williams' perspective, it makes sense. Like, we're not going to get to the quarterback with four guys rushing. The secondary is not going to cover these guys anyway, apparently, even when they have extra help. So let's just send the house and hope Derek Carr panics, which is something he does. But Derek Carr, the offense line did a good job. They gave him a pocket. Derek Carr stepped up in the pocket, avoided some of the rush, and then made a good throw to a wide-open guy. It's a bad call. It's not one where you could say, oh, they're obviously tanking. And then if you even think about it for a second, why is Greg Williams helping the Jets tank? 
That's what I, I really want to know what the what the like the theory is there. Like, did the ownership offer him extra money going out the door if they, if he would complete the tank? Like, what do, what do we see? Greg Williams' motivation is because, as you point out, like going zero and sixteen sticks to some people, and that's probably that's the coach <laughs> uh, and his assistants, and you know some of the players to some degree, but like. You can't ever live down a season like that if you're a coach. Uh, and wasn't Greg Williams? Greg Williams, I think, was the DC for the 0 and 16 Browns team. So you can't yeah. you can't come back from two 0 and 16 seasons in like four years, right? And also, if they were tanking, why did they wait until the last possible play? Like, why weren't they tanking the whole game? There are there are more efficient ways to tank. There there should be a DVOA for tanking, and like a better way to do it is to just like quietly slide some of your better players to the IR. You know, like there there are other ways to make this happen. Uh, you don't need to And what if Carr misses the throw and then the tank the, the tank just doesn't he doesn't get paid his tank bonus? I don't I don't get it at all. Your entire future is ruined. The the team's uh once bright future is up in flames because of a Derek Carr throw. Uh and then your final take dumb for the day was that uh you think the Lions should stick with Matthew Stafford, this is definitely one of the more interesting situations in the league. Uh, you know, it feels like the Lions and Stafford have been, I, you know, this this thing that happens with athletes, star athletes and their teams where they've been there for a while and there hasn't been huge success and it always gets like a little ornery. Uh, it feels like the, the Packers and, and Stafford have been in that situation for a little bit now. But now that there's officially going to be a regime change and you are looking a little bit more closely at this. Stafford had a great game uh, over the Bears, of course. Uh, he was under some pressure. I mean, Khalil Mack was getting after him, and he played really well. Uh, and you're saying that you think that he should, that the Lions, there's just no reason to move on from him unless they can get some trade, you know, some a real trade offer. And what I took away from your pieces of that actually might be possible with the way that things are moving and how many teams are going to be looking for a guy like Stafford that, you know, it's, it's unlikely that there's going to be a, a, an offer made with a whole lot of first round draft capital, but teams prioritize QBs and Stafford with his contract. He's a little bit of a deal at this point. Yeah, at this point, he is a great deal. There's no such thing as that middle class quarterback contract anymore. If you're a starter, you get paid twenty plus million. If you're if you're a backup, you get paid almost ten million now. But with Stafford, you could get a good quarterback at around I think it's twenty three million a year over the next two years, and that second year isn't even guaranteed. So, right, you're not locked into him. And he's still a very good quarterback. He may ne- never be an elite guy, but he's still top 10-ish. And if you can get that for that price, that's a great value. That You don't get that kind of value in the NFL these days, especially with a veteran quarterback. And so if I'm the Lions, I look at what we have in this trade piece, and I'm valuing it. I'm not giving it up for anything less than two first-round picks. If Jamal Adams, who can't even cover a tight end on third down <laughs> – is commands two first round picks plus a long term extension. Matthew Stafford has to be way more than worth way more than that. Maybe three first round picks. Obviously, no team's going to give up that much to, to trade for him. But I do. I don't think two first round picks is out of the question, especially with some of these teams like the Forty ers who have been a team that have 
been talked about in the the Stafford sweepstakes and I think the Colts should go after him. I really think right, he right. is the missing piece for the Colts. And they have a ton of cap space. They have a creative GM in Chris Ballard. But he's also a GM that loves draft picks. Like he's on the record as saying he loves collecting draft picks. So I don't know if he'd be willing to give up two firsts for a quarterback, but he did give up a first for DeForest Buckner in a move that has paid off. So maybe right. that will convince him to do it again. Right. I think it, it really depends on how much pressure he feels from above about taking advantage of whatever window he thinks he has. I mean, if he really, if he thinks this is it uh, and Philip rivers does not look like he's going to push them over, then Stafford is, you know, he's a little bit younger, has a much better arm. Uh, If he thinks that's a better fit, then that maybe that's the time to give up that draft capital, but there are going to be teams like, you know, and the 49ers probably they're going to boast it back next year. Like I, we talk about Kyle Shannon all, all the time on this show. Like there's, it's a really talented uh, team with an offensive scheme that is a difference maker. And if you plug a more capable QB in there, uh, I, I don't know. I imagine if Matthew Stafford somehow ended up with the Niners next year in August, we'll be talking about the Niners as uh, a favorite to to come out of the the NFC. Uh, so maybe that's enough. Uh, all right, we're going to do this new segment that I mentioned. We're calling it the Internet Says. This is basically just you know Stephen and I are watching games Sunday, uh, talking about what's going on, then by about. Midnight, 1 a.m., we're just sort of sitting around thinking about what's going on, looking at Twitter, and there's always some narratives emerging, people talking about things. I mean, if, you, if you're active on Twitter, you know this is how it goes, right? Like the prevailing thought sort of rips through Twitter and everyone sort of starts talking about it. So we're going to grasp onto some of those things and offer our takes. And the number one thing that I want to get out of the way here is there seemed to be this narrative developing yesterday that the Chiefs, who uh, had a little bit of trouble with beating the Broncos, that they are overrated at this point. And honestly, I felt like we were being, I don't know, I don't think anyone really pays that much attention to us, but we are effusive about the Chiefs. We love the Chiefs. We think they're a tier above. We have made no secret of that. And there were a lot of people saying yesterday, like, well, everyone tells me the Chiefs are are amazing and that the Steelers aren't anywhere in their class. But here the Chiefs are having trouble with the Broncos. And the Chiefs have had trouble in other games, too. The Chiefs lost to the Raiders, uh, who barely beat the Jets. So there's plenty of evidence. I mean, I get where this argument's coming from, but I I'm going to guess that you are still a believer that the chiefs are uh, a tier above what we get from the Steelers. Where, what would you say to the people who were tweeting that? I would say that they're not paying attention to these games. Cause if you watch the games, it's not that the chiefs are playing well and still barely beating these teams. The t- chiefs are playing poorly. Like they're playing <laughs> their C game and still beating NFL teams. Like last night, you had the touchdown taken away that it should have been a touchdown for Tyreek Hill, but the for whatever reason, the Chiefs don't challenge it. They had a couple other missed opportunities. There was a, a drop by uh, Kelsey on a third and long when Mahomes threw on the run. I think there was another one in the red zone. They were settling for field goals in the red zone. It just wasn't a good game. Their, their defense was getting gashed by the Broncos' run game. And 
they still won by three and it probably should have been a double digit win for the chiefs and this has been a recurring theme like even that the raiders loss everything went wrong a bunch of penalties took uh negated a bunch of big plays they gave up a, a bunch of deep throws to Derek carr it was just a total just awful game for the chiefs and they were still like kind of in it in the second half right. if that's their floor like if they hit their top gear and they hit their ceiling in the playoffs which they did last year when we had these same questions about them then I don't see how it's even close. I, I'm not worried about them. If they actually played a good game and still struggled to beat a bad team, then I would have an issue. Right. Yeah. And, and to be clear, people, you do this much more than I do. Uh, you sort of like project how good teams are, how good players are. You put yourself out there, really look at it, try to analyze it. But this is like it's impossible and it would be terrible if it actually were possible. Right. Like if somebody out there was 85 percent on their projections, like sports would no longer be fun. Right? Right. Like we would just like this is hard to do. The reason we watch sports is that the unexpected happens. Like we're not saying the Chiefs are infallible. Like that's totally ridiculous. We've we've watched and we the. The undefeated Patriots team lost to a stinky Giants team. Right. Like weird stuff happens in small sample size sports. Like that's just and this uh, is the most small sample size sport of them all. Right. So uh, they could very well not win the Super Bowl, but in every game that they're going to play from here on out, I'm picking them, and they should be the favorite, and they're probably going to be the favorite. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. The 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 internet says take seems to be. Uh, born from this idea that people are just saying that the Chiefs are perfect, and that's just not the case. They're just the most complete team with the most ways to win. Also, uh, did you see the Steelers play last week? They played a game <laughs> last week, by the way. They played a game. You may not have been paying attention, but RG3 started the game, and Trace McSorley <laughs> finished it, and they almost lost. Against a Ravens team that didn't have most of its good players and had not practiced for weeks like the Packers almost lost to the Jaguars a couple weeks ago like this happens this the Saints almost lost to the Falcons yesterday I know they're going to get Drew Brees back and that's going to make them better but all of these teams have these close losses the Chiefs have these close losses when they play a C game and you can't blame them for sleepwalking through the the season after they did what they did last year and they got close to winning the Super Bowl the year before. Like this is a team that probably just thinks it can win whenever it wants to and they have every reason to believe that. The counter. All right, this next internet says take is I'm going to read I'm going to read a tweet. Uh, if your kids are listening, I'm about to say a swear word. Uh, probably the first I don't know that either you or I have swore. Coach Coach Vass, he he let some rip. Uh, and our our podcast was not censored or taken down. So, I'm about to say a swear word. It's from a tweet. So just warning you, uh, this is from Jason Lloyd, the editor in chief of the athletic Cleveland, uh, a good football writer, uh, a guy who's been around. Uh, he, he has tweeted out his story uh, from yesterday and, here is the text of his tweet. Kevin Stefanski, who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side, is purging 20 years of demons and dumbasses in Cleveland. Uh, yeah. 
the the headline to the piece is Kevin Stefanski is the exorcist head coach the Browns desperately needed. Uh, there's like stuff in here about how other Browns coaches like shouldn't have bought houses, but Stefanski and his wife can go ahead and buy real estate. Uh <clears throat> We've, we've already gone over the fact that, like, if you're a Cleveland fan, like, good, be excited. You have good football to watch. Have some hope. Maybe things – maybe this team can win some games. Maybe they'll go on a run. Who knows? But, like, I, you, I, they're just being – Cleveland fans are being set up to fail if this is the message they're getting, that somehow the team has been possessed and Kevin Stefanski has exercised the demons and that from here on out – the everything's going to be peachy keen for Cleveland, right? Like this team is actually in a not enviable, enviable position moving forward because of their quarterback. <laughs> right. They're in that same position. The Rams were in 2018, except the Rams made the Super Bowl, and the, the Browns almost certainly will not. I, I don't, I don't think they're in a good position at all. Like their cap space is, I guess it's in a good spot and they have a good front office a smart front office but i don't know if the front office is smart enough or i guess the word is brave enough to move on from baker mayfield if this is the baker mayfield not the one that threw for whatever 340 yards and four touchdowns yesterday but the one that we've seen for the last two years or year and a half plus even going back a month ago if this is the Baker Mayfield you're going to get, you cannot sign him to a long-term deal. But if he brings the team to the playoffs, and that's going to be the narrative, it's going to be Baker right. Mayfield delivered them to the playoffs. It's, even already, though, it's already developing. It's, it's right here. You know, like Even though we know that's not the case, like anyone who watches the games can see what this is. And it's, I do think Kevin Stefanski is a very good coach, and he's been impressive this first year. But – there's only so much you can do with a limited quarterback. And we're seeing that in Los Angeles where the Rams are seemingly this team that could compete for a Super Bowl when Jared Goff plays well. But every couple of weeks, he stinks it up and they lose to a bad team. I think that's the fate the Browns are headed for. But they're not as nearly as talented as that Rams team is, especially on defense. They don't have the coach the Rams have on defense. So I don't know if it's going to work as well. As, right. as it has for the Rams, and it certainly hasn't worked as well as Rams fans expected it to work when they were at the same point as the Browns are now. Right. And I mean, I'm sure we could go back to when Freddie Kitchens took over as the interim coach and things looked good. I, you know, I don't know that the pieces at that time were this over the top, but there was a lot of optimism that Freddie Kitchens was the guy and he was what they needed and he was going to offer i mean i don't I don't remember what it was but what the narrative was but there was definitely optimism that he was going to make the changes and then you know he officially became the head coach and it was clear that there was no organization whatsoever and that they did not have it together now stefanski it's fair to say that he's fixing a lot of those problems it's fair to say that he's figuring out the best way to get something out of baker mayfield but like Give it some more time. <laughs> Let it breathe a little bit. Like ask people in Philadelphia whether uh, Doug Peterson is still the guy with all the answers. Like this coaching NFL is extremely hard. Uh, coming pairing a coach with a roster that makes the most sense and giving him the opportunity to do to find different ways to win is hard to do. Uh, like and quite frankly, the Browns uh, like. Like, like we've said so many times, like we talked about earlier, like they don't have multiple ways to win with Baker Mayfield. Like they sort of have to have the script go as planned and make it easy for him. And it works. The problem in football is that 
so many times your first and second and third plan don't work. And that's why we're so high on the Chiefs, because they have so many they have plan B, C, D, E. They can do so many different things. Uh, and, and that's sort of where we're coming from on this. Uh, I think the framing is so weird, too. Like Kevin Stefanski, like these guys, Baker Mayfield, Kevin Stefanski, like I'm sure they're somewhat aware. They're like, oh, yeah, the Browns haven't been in the playoffs in a long time. It's been a downtrodden franchise. It's tough. But like to think that they're going to work every day, like we must exercise the demons of the past two decades. Like you and I aren't sitting here like, man, remember in 2005 when a USA Today football writer had a bad take? We like we really need to we need to be good at our jobs today to to rescue the the reputation of USA Today. Like like athletes just it's like. Whenever I covered college sports and be like, all right, athlete from California who got recruited to Indiana, you're about to play Purdue. Does that mean anything to you? And they're like, no, I don't even know what Purdue is. <laughs> like, uh, So it's, you know, it's a job for these people. Um, so, all right, let's get to our final take from the Internet. And that is uh, there's this notion going around that the Giants are like this big triumph. As a matter of fact, I think we ourselves for the win wrote today that the Giants are like, I can't remember what the headline is. You know, they it, it is very interesting. The Giants are <laughs> winning football games. The Giants are the most bonkers story of a really bonkers NFL season was our morning win. Uh, and it is like if you if you want to keep the fact. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's pretty uh, it, it, if you want to just be like, oh, wow, that, you know, the NFC East is a tire fire, and out of that tire fire, there's rolling one tire that is not entirely on fire. Then, sure, like fine, I guess you could have that take. But there's nothing here again that like that that points toward long term success for the Giants, right? Like this, this is another franchise that uh, probably should make some changes in the off season. <laughs> potentially, should find a new quarterback. Like this. Like it's it's a neat little story in context, but long term, I I don't know. I don't I don't I don't think it's it's that. It's, I, it's I personally not. don't think uh, uh, the Giants going five and seven is more bonkers than the Broncos <laughs> playing a game without a quarterback. <laughs> Are playing a full season without a quarterback? If you think oh, about it. oh, Drew Lockslander, uh, Drew Lock and uh, Drew Lock two. I don't even remember that guy's name. <laughs> it's Drew Lock. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like the, the Giants are a fun little story because they're going to make the they're probably going to make the playoffs and it's going to you know vindicate Dave Gettleman. He's going to prove to the world that he can build a seven and nine team if you just give him three years and a bunch of draft picks and a bunch of cap space. But this is still a bad team. Like they're five and seven. This was their first win against a good team, and the Seahawks are always liable to play a game like this where they right. just lose to good a team point. they have no business losing to. Right. And the right. problem. The reason why I'm not getting excited is because a lot of it is the defense carrying the team, and we know defensive performance is not sustainable. I don't know how many times we've said it on this podcast, but it's true. And if that's going to be the thing that they're banking on carrying them through the next couple of years, then it's not going to work. And unfortunately, they still have a huge question mark at quarter, quarterback. And I don't even know if it's a question mark at this point. Uh, they might probably need to move on from Daniel Jones, but if they make the playoffs, like we said with the Browns, it's going to be harder to do that. And if Dave Gettleman sticks around and if they make the playoffs, he's probably going to stick around. It's going to be even harder to move on from Daniel Jones because he loves him so much. 
and you still have Jason Garrett calling the plays. And this team is not good on offense. They're like 25th in EPA per play on offense still. So, I mean, what are you getting excited about? I don't, I don't really know. A young defense that looks promising and has a good coach, that's it. And I, that doesn't really carry you that far. Look how far it carried the Bears. Yeah. All right. Let's let's uh, let's jump to the weekend's action and the playoff hunt. Uh, I'm just going to update this really quickly. Uh, AFC playoff picture right now. The Steelers are 11-0. and 0. They have not quite clinched yet. But uh, like I said, we they play later today uh, against the football team. The Chiefs are eleven and one. Uh, they're the number two seed. Bills are currently the three seed. Titans currently the four seed. Browns would be the top wild card. Dolphins next, and the Colts are sliding in number seven right now. They're eight and four. Uh, same as the Titans, but Titans hold the tiebreaker. NFC: the Saints have clinched a playoff spot. They are currently the number one seed at ten and two. Packers at nine and three are in second. Uh, the number three seed would be the Rams, eight and four atop that tough NFC West. The Giants checking in at number four with a five and seven record. Seahawks are the top wild card team right now. Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be next, and the Vikings, as you predicted, have jumped it into that number seven uh, final wild card spot with the. Cardinals and Niners from the FC West chasing uh, the Raiders and Ravens. And actually, I guess the Patriots are, are getting the Patriots thumped the Chargers and are now six and six. I mean, it would, a lot would have to go right. Uh, but the Raiders are at seven and five and are right outside the bubble for the AFC. And then the, the Ravens would be after that at six and five with the game to play on Tuesday. So that's the playoff picture right now. We're going to sort of focus on the games that impacted that. And we'll start with the Rams and Cardinals. Uh, I think you watched this game. When, when did you get to this game? Like last <laughs> night, the, the, the Rams beating the Cardinals 38 to 28. I think you watched the film at about 1 a.m. Uh, what did you take away from this one? Uh, I, I didn't take away much from it. It was what I expected. If I had seen the score beforehand, like I would have expected this is exactly how it went. Like the Ram, the Cardinals didn't really make Jared Goff do anything he's not comfortable doing. He was throwing off play action. They were throwing some screen passes, some underneath passes, and he did. He looked like good Jared Goff, which we know he can do in that situation. Right. And the run game worked too. So the offense was clicking. And I thought the defense did exactly what I thought it would do. It limited Kyler Murray from running the ball. It put the, the ball in the running back's hands. It limited what they did downfield, and Kyler Murray was never comfortable. I think he only had one completion in the first half. It was pretty ugly, and it just calls into question Cliff Kingsbury again. Like, you got to get this passing game fixed, and their pieces are there, or they should be there. Like, you have DeAndre Hopkins now. I do think the rest of the pieces on that offense are kind of overrated. Like, Larry Fitzgerald is washed. Uh, Christian Kirk is just a replacement-level player as a – wide receiver two their tight end is dan arnold who sounds made up and doesn't have a fox cartoon which is the biggest indictment you can have of a, play, a player what 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 a loser <laughs> but no uh yeah the pieces aren't really that great so maybe they need another receiver before this scheme can really take off but this is what cliff was brought in to do to fix that passing game and i think he's got to do a better job of doing it and 
we've talked about it all season, just stop being so conservative and throw the ball downfield on early downs. That's when it's best to attack a defense, and they're not doing it right now. Kyler Murray has said that the uh, he feels the offense has hit a wall. I know you're going to look into that a little bit more maybe this week, so you guys can check back on that. Uh, we'll see if there's anything there. Uh, you know, I'm sure Stephen will be tweeting about it at the Stephen Ruiz too. Uh, but that is one of the things that we're sort of thinking about and looking into as we go forward. Uh, all right, let's talk. Uh, this I I don't even want to really do this honestly, but Jalen Hurts finally played some meaningful <laughs> football. Replaced Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz sent to the bench before <laughs> benched for Jalen Hurts before really his huge contract even kicks in. Really before the extension has even begun. Uh, man, I don't know. What did you think of Jalen Hurts? Did you see anything that makes you think? I mean, the Eagles can't move on from from Wentz, right? Like they would owe all they would owe like a fourth of the salary cap, <laughs> like literally right. in dead cap. So it's just not a possibility. So I guess the question is whether they just they think Hertz is the guy and they move toward him and wait until they can get out from the Wentz deal since Hertz is on his rookie deal. I, I mean, where is this franchise right now? They're stuck in limbo, and they're going to be stuck until the, they're able to get out of the Wentz deal. I think because can I situation. can I hang up? Can I hang up on the podcast now? Can I just, no, no, you have to. You, yeah. This is your you just your punishment. This is what you traded that Super Bowl win for. <laughs> this this year, Eagles fans, this is what you sold your your soul for. It wasn't possible with like Nick Foles wasn't just going to win a Super Bowl, and you guys were going to enjoy life for for the rest of eternity. <laughs> punishment was coming, and this is it. Anyway, I think at this point you just have to let Hertz play out the rest of the year, get a full, not full, but a significant sample size of film on him. You can compare it to Wentz. You can evaluate both guys in the offseason, go into the next training camp and say, hey, you guys compete for a job. We have this evidence on both of you guys. You guys can adjust what we think in training camp, and we'll decide from there. Like That's the best approach to me. And I'm not going to take anything away from his his cameo on Sunday because that wasn't a game plan built for him. And I think the game plan has to be different if you're building it for him. It has to look something like what we've seen the Ravens do, what we've seen the Patriots do with Cam Newton, like a run centric, a quarterback centric run game. And we saw a little bit of that. Like he had the long run where I think it was, uh, I don't know if, if he ran it, but it was an option play and it was called back because of a, dubious holding call but we need to see more plays like that we didn't really see a lot of right. run game and the game script didn't allow for it either right so i want to see him with a game plan tailored to his strengths coming coming in in a neutral situation where he's not trying to come back and then we could really evaluate him i thought he looked fine for what it was like he threw that touchdown pass and he looked pretty good looked pretty poised outside of the pocket the game didn't look too fast for him the interception was really just a great play i think it was by darnell savage Maryland alum, by the way. Uh, so I'm not really taking anything away from that game. I think the Eagles, who have like I, they either have like four offensive coordinators or zero offensive coordinators. I can never figure it out uh, looking at their staff listing. I think they need to hire our friend Brennan Marion in the offseason. Let him go. Just let him design something for Jalen Hurts. Yeah, if Hawaii's not going to let him call the plays, let <laughs> let the, the Eagles should let him do it. And I think it would right. work out pretty well. I don't know if. <laughs> Like it's always hard to say going from that level to the NFL level, but it's it'll be more interesting. I can tell you that much. 
That's all I'm after, Stephen. I'm just after some intrigue. That's 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 enough given given the situation. Uh, the Green Bay Packers won this game thirty to sixteen. By the way, never really much in doubt. Uh, Devontae Adams continues to just have a monster season. Ten catches for 121 yards. Um, you're, you're still out on the Packers, right? The defense just is not not going to be good enough come playoff time for you. Yeah, I'm out. I watched this team almost lose to the Jaguars two weeks ago. I <laughs> I saw them lose to Kirk Cousins when he didn't throw the ball more than five yards downfield. I am all the way out on this team. The Saints are the best team in that conference. I think it's the third time we've mentioned the near Jags loss on this episode of the podcast. If you almost lose to the Jags, you're canceled. <laughs> like the Vikings, embarrassing. The Browns, uh, no. Packers, and I, although I will say that I overlooked the Colts loss to the Jaguars in week one. <laughs> but, hey, I'm allowed to do that. It's my take. Week one, week one doesn't count. Man. Week true. one doesn't count in regular seasons. And then this one was even more messed up. Uh, the Saints, Taysom Hill. Barely got them past the Falcons. And really, he didn't even. I got old takes exposed because of my. First of all, the old takes <laughs> exposed guy. I know you've done an interview with For the Win, but you suck, man. Like, why are you old takes old takes exposing clear memes and jokes? Like, I've gotten old takes twice this year. One was a joke about Drew Locke's stinking. And by the way, he still stinks. And then the other was uh, a joke on. Taysom Hill's Fox cartoon. Like I knew he could, he would look decent against the Falcons. Like go back to the Broncos game. He's not a real quarterback. He almost turned the ball over like four times in this game. He only he came away with one turnover, but the Falcons dropped like two interceptions. He fumbled twice, and luckily on the last one, the ball went out of bounds. Taysom Hill was not good. Yeah, and and he was not. I mean, to the extent that he was good, it was with in line with your joke. I mean, he ran fourteen times for eighty three yards. Like he was an effective football player, but your joke was that he was not going to actually throw the ball. Like that's, uh, you know, like he didn't. I mean, he was he's fine. Like he's still not. He's done nothing to show that he's an effective down to down NFL passer. No. Uh, but you you were super impressed with the Saints defense. I think uh, do I recall us talking about this yesterday or maybe you tweeted it that you think the Saints have the best defense in the league right now? Yeah, I was going to put it in the take dump but I was they, it's kind of boring. It's just they've been I think since like week 6 they've been the best defense by EPA, maybe it's week 7. And then watching that game yesterday and then I watched them a couple weeks back when they when they played the Bucks on Sunday night. They just make everything so hard f- for a quarterback. Like every throw is into a tight window. They're contesting every throw. They play a lot of man coverage. They do a lot of matching. Their defensive line has really come on in the last month or so. And since right. it's come on, they've really, I think they've been the best defense in the league. It's between them and the Rams for me personally. I'd put them ahead of the Steelers, both those teams, just yeah. because they don't rely on turnovers as much. But you watch the Falcons game and like every completion, I, I think Matt Ryan completed like 13 or 15 passes and every completion was just a grind because the Saints are just in receivers faces. And you look at uh, expected completion percentage for Matt Ryan. I think he had the lowest expected completion percentage in the league last week uh, on Sunday. And it's not like I, I do think that stat is more controlled by the quarterback than the defense, because part of a, a quarterback's job is to find open receivers and easy throws. But it's not like Matt Ryan is bad at going through his progressions. Like he was doing all the work you want to see in the pocket. There was just no one open. So 
I yeah, they're the defense, and this changes every month. I tweeted that out. Like, right, right. Best defense, it just doesn't. It's not sustainable. But right now, I think they're the best defense in the league. Right. I mean, part of what that's really the story of the Chiefs winning last year was that you know we all knew Patrick Mahomes and the offense was, was amazing, but the defense pulled it together. Uh, and even after losing, I mean, it was after Thornhill went out, right? And then they like they sort of unleashed Matthew. I and mean, you you wrote about this, but they. I mean, it was Spagnola coming up with a plan that allowed them to to deal with a lot of different things. That the evolution of the defense and getting good, being the being one of the better defenses in the league at the right month was what was important for the team. Uh, Did you just call him Mathau, like Walter Mathau? <laughs> uh, yeah, if they had Walter Mathau back there, I don't think it would work so well. He's, he's an old guy. Uh, Walter so Mathau, he's, well, he's a dead guy, but yeah. Oh, man. Ah, sad. Did he die this year? No, it was Did like 15 do- years ago. <laughs> well, uh, interestingly, 538 has the Saints uh, with a 29% chance to win the Super Bowl, the Chiefs with a 27% chance. Now, obviously, that has a lot to do with the fact the Saints are in line to have the only buy in the NFC and the Chiefs have a rougher road there since the Steelers remain undefeated and the Chiefs have one loss. Uh, but that is worth noting. Walter Matthau uh, died in 2000. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Poor guy. Uh, Colts, Texans. Where are you on the Colts right now? You just you just admitted that you uh, – I don't know. I think you have a soft spot for the Colts. you I mean, I do. I don't think they matter, but they're going to make the playoffs, and I've been on that train. I think they're still going to win the AFC South. I'm still calling it. They have a 37% chance, according to 538, but somehow they have a better chance to make the play. Oh, no, they don't. They're just ahead of them in their ELO rankings. I'm reading the uh, the chart wrong. But, right. yeah, I th- the Colts, they got DeForest Buckner back last week or this week, and he like made an impact from – Drive one. Like he got pressure on Deshaun Watson on third down. I think he got a sack on the second down or second drive. He was getting pressure. He was stopping the run. It's just a totally different defense with DeForest Buckner out there, which is why I totally disregarded the Titans game the week before. And like that looks like a smart thing to do after this last week. So I still think the Colts are the best team in the division with the way the schedules work out. I don't know if they're going to win it, but I don't know. Maybe the Titans drop a game between now and then and the Colts, I. I think they would win the division if both if the uh, Titans win, lose one more game and they win out. So that's what they got to hope for. The Titans do have a game against Detroit, and maybe that's a game they could lose. But they're playing at Jacksonville next week. They're probably going to win that. I'm not sure who they're playing after that, though. Yeah. So yeah, Colts win this one, twenty six twenty against the Texans. Uh, I the Deshaun Watson you know, he had had a long streak without an interception, and then he quote unquote threw one, but it was. <laughs> Brandon Cooks, who uh, don't do this, all right. But if you like, I'm just telling. I'm just stating for a fact. If you if you type Brandon Cooks into Twitter and then do the video search, like you will just see Brandon Cooks getting his brain just obliterated. On stop letting Brandon Cooks. Yeah, the opposite uh, like, of the like he should not be uh, playing football anymore. So this on this play, he just sort of fell. I mean, it was a very standard football play. He fell and his head hit. The turf first, and it, I mean, it looked kind of like he was out for a little bit, uh, and the ball ended up going into the Colts defender's hand. I mean, it was it had nothing whatsoever to do with Sean Watson, uh, and everything to do with 
how brutal the game of football can be. And I think Brandon Cooks came back and played some more football. Uh, so if you, I'm pretty sure he returned to the game, which is just a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. Let's talk about today's games uh, today and tomorrow. So much football still to be played. You have a sense, you have a, a suspicion, a hunch that the football team might jump up and and surprise the Steelers, the four and seven Washington football team. Uh, I didn't want to put it on the podcast, but yeah, now that you said it, oh. <laughs> I think this is a team that's capable at least keeping the game close. And with, in the NFL, you never know, like these coin flip games, it can go either way. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I, I don't. And maybe that's a mistake, but the, the, Washington team has a good defense, and I think it's a defense that could put some pressure on what this Steelers team likes to do, this offense likes to do. I don't think Ben's going to have a very good game. It's going to look a lot like it did last week against the Ravens. And, I mean, it all comes down to Alex Smith, if he can just look like a regular quarterback against this tough defense that is missing Bud Dupree. Then maybe it's a low-scoring, like 17-20 to game that Washington gets a lucky break at the end and wins. I don't... I wouldn't. All I'll say is I wouldn't be surprised if Washington wins or at least keeps it close. Yeah, uh, Pittsburgh's a six-point favorite. Uh, that's pretty high. I don't like you said. I mean, the football team really does have a legitimate defense. So, um, I do not see a cover by the Steelers here. Bills 49ers. <laughs> uh, the line on this has been all over the place uh, because the 49ers like moved. <laughs> like, I don't know. People are like the 49ers have left the Bay Area and they're now located in Arizona. This game is being played in Glendale um, and the 49ers are a one point favorite. I I don't know. What do you make of that? Why? Why? I, I guess I guess Vegas doesn't believe in Josh Allen either. So the 49ers are. Are a team called San Francisco that play in Santa Clara who are now playing in Glendale. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I, like I would not bet on this game. I would stay away from this game because I have no idea what to expect out of either team. Like, which Josh Allen are you going to get? Are you going to get the one that we saw against the Seahawks and then the one we saw in September? Those are kind of the same guy. Or the Josh Allen we've seen every other week who's kind of volatile and really thrives under pressure or out of structure, really. And the 49ers defense has been really good. I think Robert Sala has, has done a great job this year, and he's probably going to earn that head coaching job this offseason so that they could give him some issues. They could give Josh Allen some issues. I mean, but it all comes down to what they get from the quarterback position. Is Kyle Shanahan going to get a decent game out of Nick Mullins, or is he going to get a Nick Mullins game out of Nick Mullins? That's really going to decide <laughs> the game for me. If he looks... Kind of like Jimmy G. I think the 49ers have a decent shot at pulling the upset off here. Uh, one final game this week, Cowboys-Ravens. Uh, Ravens are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite, which means Vegas is almost certainly envisioning Lamar Jackson coming back. I kind of see this game as a potential Ravens revenge game. Like, they are going to come out and figure stuff out. I mean, the Cowboys are obviously putrid, and their defense is even worse than that. Uh, so it could just happen anyway. But the Ravens, uh, Jason LaConfora, who uh, works for CBS, but he's based in Baltimore and hosts a radio show here, uh, reported this weekend that 
things were really like messier than even people realized within the Ravens organization that uh, a strength coach who was refusing to wear a mask was part of the problem. Some of the players went to their agents and complained. The Ravens thought about not playing against the Steelers in that game that kept getting moved. Uh, There were other staff members maybe in the building who weren't complying with COVID restrictions. Uh, It sounds very messy and like the sort of thing that would be a red flag. But John Harbaugh is the sort of coach that for better or worse, I think he takes stuff like that and rallies his team around it. That's sort of, he's like very much like a rah, rah, like we're in the bunker together, men type guy. And so I'm kind of wondering if the Ravens will actually look like uh, the, the decent football team that you have claimed they are for so long. Yeah, and we kind of saw it last week. They almost pulled off that win against the Steelers with all these conditions going around. And that's really why John Harbaugh is so good, like you said. like He's not like some X's and O's guy. He was a special teams coach. He's good at managing the locker room. So I don't think there's going to be any issue managing this situation. And I do think last week's game against the Steelers should make people appreciate Lamar Jackson and what he's able to accomplish with this offense around him. Because RG3 is thought of as a decent backup. Like, he's not a bad backup. And he just looked lost in that offense against the Steelers. And in a way that Lamar Jackson has never looked lost since he's taken over the starting job. Right. I ex- Like you said, I expect a big game for the Ravens offense. This is a defense that struggles with co- dealing with those motion factors and like dealing with changing pictures before <laughs> right. the snap and like this is the worst team to go up against with that yeah. <laughs> so Dallas, I, the Ravens Dallas should defense, be good Dallas defense struggles with football he's, he's yeah playing, right playing the sport of football and Andy Dalton versus Don Martindale is just a mismatch of epic proportions like, I don't yeah. think it's going to be it's going to be ugly for the Cowboys on both sides of the ball I think all right, that's all we got for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Do find us on Twitter at the Stephen Ruiz, at Chris Gorman, and Charles McDonald, part of the team at Forverts. Uh, he'll be around maybe later this week. I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. You'll, you'll start seeing his stuff on For the Win. Uh, you'll start hearing him here on the counter. Stephen, throwing it to you. Final word. Drop some wisdom. Let go of a take that you didn't get out earlier. Whatever, man. Make a joke. R.I.P. Walter Matthau. <laughs> too soon. I, poor guy. Now I I feel like we're two grumpy old podcasters. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you next time. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. 